You're listening to The Photography Show. This is episode number 16 for February 14th, 2011, eating off the Valentine's Day menu. So, um, but yeah, I was, with, I was hanging out with a friend last night, um, my friend Bill Miles, and um, he was showing me – he gets a subscription to PDN. Mm-hmm. That's a great uh, magazine. That's, that's a great magazine. Yeah, I mean I've rules. seen it at the, at the bookstore before and picked it up and looked through one real quick or whatever, but we were kind of hanging out for a while last night at his office, and so I was kind of flipping through a couple of them. And I was like, the articles and stuff, this is like a really good photography magazine. There's not a bunch of junk and ads. This is like really great articles, really awesome photography to look at. Really good, like how-to stuff, but also like technical stuff, like this camera is good this year, and you know stuff like that. So, yeah, PDN's pretty happening. Yeah, you so don't get, get the feeling that they're sold out to their advertisers. It's awesome. No, yeah, every other page isn't isn't an ad. It's like it's it's you know, stock full of um, really good you know photography stuff. So and, yeah. and the pictures they put in there too are like really top-notch quality. Yeah, and the printing quality's nice and. Yeah, like some of these magazines put such cheesy, like the kind of photography that they like to show. I'm talking about like the, um, well, I don't want to call it any names, but the ones that are really geared towards like camera gear and like shooting landscapes and stuff. Some of those, some of the photography can be so cheesy. I like yeah. the magazines that are more like arty, like have the cool guy you've never heard of from. You, you know, don't want to name any names, but if, if they want you to know that they're popular. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because I, I did, you know, my video podcast oh, about a month or two ago. We, I, I, I did some reviews of some cool magazines. And, you know, that's one of the biggest beefs I have is that, you know, I mean, I know, gosh, the public industry is having trouble and all. And, you know, they're trying to pay their bills. But it's like some of them, it's like they're not even photography magazines. They're just like gear magazines. They're advertisements, mm-hmm. you know. I know. I and, know. Uh, or, the, or you're right. They're, they're really crappy. Or they're Photoshop magazines. The Which best ones fine, are the ones but, like you've talked about before. Black and white is yeah. of course an amazing, and PDN has really done kind of the same way, but it it focuses on a lot of color. But they're both very artistic, and I think the artistic magazines are the better ones yeah. than like any kind of how tos or how to shoot portraits. Or even though they might have those kind of articles in there, I don't know. Just it's really well done. So. You know, uh, well, there's two others that I like. One one actually is kind of a surprising one. There's one called large format photography, uh-huh. which is geared towards people who shoot view cameras, but uh, I don't, you know, you get something out of it. You don't shoot a view camera. I mean, it's just because they talk about photography. It's a bunch of old school guys that, you know, are really yeah. into it. And, and the other one I like is uh, lens work. Okay. Yeah, that's was, another artsy one. Yeah, I'm blanking out on the guy's name who does that. It's basically this guy who just publishes it out of his apartment. He's got a podcast, Brooks Jensen. Okay. Um, and it's it's fantastic. It's, you know, he picks different people to feature. And it's basically uh-huh. a lot of photos and some interviews. And it's it's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I, I told you, and we were talking about this earlier, I'm going to be doing some work for Wallpaper Magazine coming mm-hmm. up, and they're, they're based out of London. And I, I definitely, as a designer and stuff, come across their magazine a couple of times and picked it up before because it's oh, always sure. that same, same section as uh, CA, you know, communication arts and all that kind of stuff, whatever. But sp- on photography, it has great photography out throughout the whole thing. Yeah, Wallpaper, it does. the little tagline is design, interiors, fashion, art, and lifestyle. But it's just like um, – Every photograph, whether no matter what kind of photograph it is inside, whether it's architectural or portraits or whatever, um, they're really amazing stuff. So, like, uh, oh, yeah. that's kind of one that's not maybe right in the photography section; it's more just more in the creative stuff. But um, it's still got really good, uh, you know, level of photography in it. Actually, I think that's pretty important that because I think a lot of photographers. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. You go to the newsstand and you immediately mm-hmm. go to the photography section. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, like, if you want to look at some really brilliant work, like, I mean, stuff like National Geographic, obviously, uh, uh-huh. you know, like you're saying with wallpaper, Texas Highways. Um, yeah, Texas or a ton, ton of these um, architecture magazines. They're oh just, yeah. If you enjoy maybe you know if you just enjoy photography, the, the photography in those is amazing. Yeah. Or just yeah, just, just just different. Just get out of the photography section and see what else you can find. Even in like a the, the rock and roll section, and then like the fashion and TV section and all that stuff. Sure. Sometimes the photography in those um, magazines will blow you away. Well, and that, that, I think that's more important for photographers to be looking at. I mean, they're not going to write articles on how to make layers in Photoshop or something, you know. Right. But just go look at the work. That's the the work. Yeah, the important yeah, part. Definitely. You know? I got to warn you, um, you know, it's Sunday mm-hmm. and uh, the biker bar heats up on Sunday. So 
Oh, we're about to hear some rumbling motorcycles. You could. I would bet we do. In fact, earlier I had to shut the window because it's like what they do is they like to thunder in front of my building and set off all the car alarms and speed off. It's really oh, awesome. awesome. Loosen up that carburetor. And yeah, you time. live right across from Herman's Hall, right? Or yeah, but they hang out at Reno's, which is down on the other end. But they <laughs> they, they parade down my street to uh, get Hey, dude, don't, don't make all the bikers mad, man. <laughs> no, huh? They, one of them might <laughs> listen to this podcast and they're going to know where you live. So he lives right across from it. Okay, we know he lives in that apartment complex right there, those lofts. I uh, love it. Yeah. Look for the bikers. I'm going to be down in your neighborhood today. You know this. I'm going to be shooting yeah. a, heavy, a heavy metal band from Fort Worth. This will be my first heavy metal band to shoot, so this will be entertaining. Rock I'm my, on. I know. I know. I just tweeted that, but um, uh, it should be fun. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. They're, they kind of, they're really hard. They kind of sound um, a little bit like Tool or something, I guess, if I had to compare I love Tool. To something, and they want to do something really funky that is going to end up looking kind of Inception-like, you know, like as a yeah. movie. Um, so we're gonna, I'm going to shoot a bunch of stuff today, but then I'm going to do like a lot of Photoshop work when I get back and put some weird computer-looking stuff in the background and stuff like that or whatever. Very cool. Get. Yeah. Yeah, you'd asked me to uh, videotape you, and I flaked. No, yeah, it's Valentine's Day, so you got tons of stuff to do. So it is Valentine's Day, isn't it? Yeah, well, tomorrow, but yeah, Beck and I did it Friday night. I don't even know what day but, it is. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, my, my, our new rule is that – this is totally off topic, but people are used to this. Um, yeah. um, we're not going to celebrate, if we can, Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day anymore because we, we're, we're like protesting Valentine's Day, like the whole uh, – I admire that, dude. side of it. I think everybody hates that. It's like prove how much you love your wife by buying her a ton of stuff. And yeah. if you can't afford it, well, then I guess you just don't love her. <laughs> a ton of stuff that you either don't need or is going to die in a week. Right, and then okay, like you try to get a you try to get a reservation to a restaurant or anything on Valentine's Day, you can't get a reservation. Everything's booked. You get there, everything's crowded. Now yeah, the meal insane. costs twice as much as it did the, the day before. So we went out Friday night. It was like the restaurant was you know just a normal night or whatever. We got a table right away. Normal cool. prices. We didn't have to eat off the Valentine's Day menu. <laughs> All this kind of yeah. So we're doing Valentine's Day on on before Valentine's Day from now on. Yeah, that's that's a good plan, man. Yeah, I'm down. I'm sure the podcast listeners really appreciated that too. Oh, I know why I was going to tell you that because she's going to be out of her love for me. She's going to go with me today and fill in as you and oh. uh, and oh. help. <laughs> and help I don't with love the, you anymore, Wade. And, and, and help me with <laughs> videotaping and stuff. I think we're just we're trying to find our flip. We have, we bought like five flips at one time cameras. Yeah. They can't find any of them, so that's awesome. Yeah, and, they, they tend so to. We're going to just, I think, just do iPhone stuff, but I think that'll be good enough quality to put a little five-minute video together of. Man, the iPhone. iPhone's pretty impressive. You need a lot of light for it, but it's it's not bad. You yeah, know? we'll be shooting outdoors from like in Deep Ellum from like four to six, so we'll have plenty of light. So come on down. Come on down. No, you know what's funny is there's going to be a bunch of people. I saw a uh, photo get-together on Twitter or something. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. No, So probably everywhere I go, there's going to be like 50 people in the background with cameras. I I think that was Uh, yesterday because I was bailing. A friend of mine had an art opening uh, who's a painter, and he was giving a gallery talk, which was very cool at the opening. Anyway, so I went to go do that, and you know, there's like legions of people with their DSLRs streaming down the street, and I thought, oh, I think there's another one today. Ah, they're very popular. That's how deep element is everybody loves to come down there and take pictures because it's cool looking. it's grungy you live in the hip part of town even yeah. though it's totally dead it's well i'm not hip but you know <laughs> <laughs> i try to be you're hip amongst the podcasters well we we, we kind of have a a treat for at least three listeners today yeah um we have been getting some questions via the email and give, give them the email again in case they want to... Yeah, you have to like to type. In fact, we need to shorten it up. Yeah, we need to do like a a, the, a bit.ly. A bit.ly. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool if you could do that for email. Well, what you want to do is... Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's announce it now, and I'll rewind and listen to what it was, and we'll change it. I'll leave the old email address to avoid confusion, but we'll add another one. Let's Maybe do... You can, yeah, um, if you edit it, you can just add it to the end of the show. Yeah, let's do questions at thepublicbroadcast.com. Okay. Does that work? I'll email you. Yeah. Well, it's not set up yet. <laughs> it's going to bounce. I will have it set up as soon as we're done with the show. So by the time anyone is listening to this, they're uh, they'll, they'll full access. But the old one, which was the photography show at thepublicbroadcast.com, we have a bunch of questions people have sent in. And uh, we thought we'd read through them and address them. I thought they were all pretty good. I think they're things yeah. that everybody can get stuff out of. But, we're glad uh, to finally be getting some, like, some real questions from people. Yeah. You want me to read one? Yeah, let's just start at the beginning and see how far we get. All right, well, this this is from one of our British friends here. 
This is from uh, – it, okay, I think it's become part of our shtick that we're, we live in Texas and have these goofy accents and stuff. So, um, Yeah, so if I mispronounce names, just we're doing it for humorous effect, I'm sure. Right, yeah, yeah. because we really never would pronounce, mispronounce a name. Absolutely. Well, this is from Giles in Halifax, Yorkshire, which is uh, in England. And uh, he writes, Hi, fellas. I'm really enjoying the podcast. I've really learned a lot from you, too. You, too. Uh, between the <laughs> off-topic conversations – see, he digs it. Uh, I'm currently progressing towards getting more professional setup and just and not just chuck my money on the latest gear. Uh, with that in mind, I was pleased to see Aperture for sale in the App Store at about a third of the cost. Um, he means is what it cost before it was in the App Store. But that leaves mm-hmm. me with Photoshop Elements and Aperture on my computer to choose from. My question for you is that uh, is what software do you prefer to use? I'm trying to build a base on portrait photography and currently use PSE nine. So that's Photoshop Elements nine. Mm-hmm. Many thanks. Keep up the good work. Giles. All right. Um, Good yeah, question. well, real quick, Aperture, uh, if, you, if you're not in the know, um, oh, in Planet Apple, they've released an app store now for the Mac, which, uh, you know, I guess that'd be way off talk to go into. But one of the things they've done is they put Aperture into this app store, and it's considerably fallen in price. It can, came down to about 80 bucks, I think is what it is. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, if, if you're not familiar, uh, if you're familiar with Lightroom, Aperture is kind of Apple's variation on it. It's very similar. Uh, I use Aperture. Love it. I've used it since version one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think people get mistaken on... Ted? Yeah, you there? Uh, Ted, I lost you. Ah, I didn't lose me. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You were cutting out. I think the next question should be, why does Skype blow? (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, I think we should send in questions. Yeah, because I don't know the answer to that. another one from Wade. Uh, um, (laughs) What's up with Skype? Why does this podcast blow when Skype goes out? Uh, Well, (laughs) actually, nobody heard anything. Okay, cool. Okay, so so let's just pick up where we left off. Pick up where we left off. So, yeah, so Aperture, um, basically, I think a lot of people want it to be a photo management. I think some people want it to be Photoshop, and it's really neither. It's somewhere in the middle. Uh, It's a lot like Lightroom is, is that, you know, you can take photos from your shoot. You can do uh, basic adjustments on digital photos. You can bring in scanned photos if you're a film guy, and you can do things like add metadata. Uh, You can change levels. You can add some basic filtering in there. Um, There's a lot of things you can do, sharpening. Uh, it yep. handles raw files extremely well. Um, and what I see Aperture is doing really well. And Wade, do you use Lightroom? I use Lightroom. Okay. Well, you can kind of talk from the Lightroom side. Okay. Of it, but uh, I, I think it's a really good intermediate programming. I can't talk. <laughs> intermediary program. Uh, it's a great app. But uh, what I will use it for is to bring things in from shoots. Uh, I will do levels, curves, adjustments, any kind of filtering. I have some plugins set up on mine that I use for various things like black and white sometimes. Um, and then what I will do is I will compile those into a library. And when I'm done with them, I will go back that up and archive it. Um, it's It gets really clunky when you have a massive library in there. And I don't think either that or Lightroom are really built uh, to be cataloging applications. Um, you need something like, well, th- uh, the big one that I've seen, um, and if you're really interested in this, this is off the subject of what he was asking, but uh, there, Microsoft used to make an expression app uh, that has been purchased by uh, Phase One, who make digital backs. Same way, you can still buy it, and it's an excellent kind of archival app for meta tagging and things like that. So if you get a call, somebody needs a stock photo, and it's four years old, you can quickly go type in a few keywords and locate it pretty quickly. And right. That's what those app- applications are for. Uh, but I like it a lot. I think that combined with Photoshop elements gives you a very good basic setup. Um, my feeling is that if you're really serious about this, and as much as I hate to advise this because I can't stand Adobe, uh, they're way overpriced, but yeah, you really have to be using regular Photoshop, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, what, how do you feel about uh, about the Lightroom? Um, okay, you can't go wrong, um, I don't think, with Aperture or Lightroom. It's mm-hmm. like it's like using a Canon or a Nikon camera. There's, it's, uh, they're both good. There's going to be things that are different about both of them, and people are going to like different things about each of them and have strong opinions or whatever. Oh, but sure. in the end, if you if you buy Aperture or you buy Lightroom, you're gonna it's going to handle. Uh, what you need done as far as uh, bringing in a, a lot of photos, editing them all as large batches um, quickly. Yeah, that's the best feature they've got. Like if, if you have a whole bunch of images or the same scene, you shot them at the same exposure, you mm-hmm. can do your adjustments on one and then copy and paste those adjustments to another 40, which saves totally. a lot of time. 
Totally. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the whole reason for, for um, Aperture and Lightroom is that it, it's, it, it, it's, it's this equivalent of when you used to have a bazillion slides because you went out on a professional photo shoot or something, mm-hmm. and uh, now you had hundreds and hundreds of slides, and you needed to put them all on the light board uh, and, 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 and look at them and, and you know, cull them down to the, only the best ones and then take those and start processing them or whatever. It's the exact same thing except digitally. Yeah. Um, it, you can't do this in photos shop you can't open up i go on a shoot now and uh you know depending on the shoot will take hundreds to thousands of pictures and i could not open each one of those photos in anything else and, and, and be able to paste the levels and, and, no i couldn't i couldn't do it in i mean i guess bridge is something that comes with the adobe set that is the next closest thing that you could cull down photos with but you can you know you can star things you can flag things you can cut cut pictures that are bad and uh, you can quickly take 500 pictures to under 100 pictures or 50 pictures very quickly and then you can take those 50 pictures and edit them uh adjust all you know all the uh, the light settings and the uh uh, all the different settings very quickly, unlike you could do in Photoshop. And then when you're done there and you have them all saved in a folder and you have your final 25 photos or whatever that have had some already some minor adjustments made to them, um, as well as some some metadata tagging and stuff like that done to all of them, it's all embedded. Um, then you can open them them up one at a time in Lightroom and do your fi- in, in Photoshop. I mean, and do your final. Um, tweaks and edits. Yeah, you probably narrowed it down at that point to what you want to use. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it helps and, you, you know, cut through everything. The only reason I, well, you know, Giles was asking what software we prefer to use, and I definitely I think you need some kind of workflow application like Aperture or Lightroom. I think one of they're those. both great. You know, right. pick one and go. Um, yeah. if, I think if you're starting out, you want to keep it to where you can afford it, and Photoshop yes, Elements is certainly very good. I think it'll handle probably about, and this is what irks me about Adobe, it'll handle about 90% of what you need to do, 95%. Mm. But there's going to be that 5% of the time where you got to open up and make some weird color adjustment, and the tools are going to be limited um, in something like um, uh, Photoshop Elements. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other side, I use a lot of little goofy ball you know, applications that kind of do one thing. Like there's an app that I found that's free called iResize. And if I need to just go, mm. I'm sizing something up for a gallery on the web, and I need to make them all fit in a 500 pixel by 500 pixel box, I can go do that and go make thumbnails real easily. Um, it's a one trick pony, but it's free. Um, there's two apps on the Mac side that I think are really strong, um, mainly again for editing for web. Uh, but Pixelmator is one, and I know that actually both these are in the App Store, and Acorn is another one. They're nowhere near the power of even probably Photoshop elements, but they're also like we're talking about fifty dollars or under for the application. So right, and you can do all these if you buy Photoshop. Photoshop is such a workhorse. I mean, it can do yes. almost everything you could possibly think of. I mean, they've thought of it. Uh, it's Photoshop's been around for a while, and many many versions of it have come out. So they've covered the bases of what you can do with photo editing. It is the photo editor to go to if you could only buy one thing um to to edit with and it has every it it, you know actions can do the actions palette in photoshop can you can um you can record an action uh, that can like resize an image and then apply that to a thousand other images and it'll resize them all the same way or turn them all into rgb or or whatever you need. Yeah, you know, it does some great awesome. automation. Right. So you can do these same things within Photoshop as well. Um, some of these outside applications do things maybe better or faster or whatever. Um, if you're just trying to do one thing and you don't want to get all into Photoshop or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, you can resize a bunch of stuff easily or quickly. So those are cool to check out, especially if they're free or cheap. Well, and to clarify, the only downsides to Photoshop are, one, it's extremely expensive. I think it's overpriced. And then, two um, – <laughs> it, the the um, what do they call it? The copyright, the digital rights management on it. Just to install mm-hmm. it, they're like punishing you for people who have bootlegged it and you've paid mm-hmm. for the whole thing. I hate that, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, but other it's a than that, it's, thing. I mean, it's it's, it, it's so expensive because it's the standard and it's the must-have. Uh, Photoshop. I mean, it, Photoshop is the must-have editing software. You know, the, it's better than anything else that's out there. So I would definitely upgrade from Elements as soon as you can. Uh, we all understand about having to work with what you have, and if you have to work with Photoshop Elements, then that's what you have to do, and that's great. And it's uh, going to do most everything. You're just yeah. going to have to upgrade eventually. That's all. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, um, it's just going to be kind of like a you know a car that doesn't maybe have the deluxe stereo in it or something. But um. Well, and I think that. Uh, Giles brought up an interesting point too, and I don't think he meant to, but you know, th- I think it's also important if you're starting out, use what you've got 
and use right. it to the nth degree. You can still get great photos. You can do mm-hmm. good editing. Um, you don't need these other things. They're just going to make life easy for you later on. Yeah. And so yeah. I think it's really important to stay within your means. Even if you're like trying to have a professional go at this, don't go out and blow a bunch of money right off the – it's more important to get your business together, get your clients together, get some income coming in, and then you can afford to, to upgrade from there. And that's I think the that's the point, thing. yeah, that we always try to make is that we're not all about working with the, the cheapest gear, the worst gear, any anything like that. What we're about is working within your means and yes. doing the best with what you have. Uh, if, if I could afford the very best camera out there and the very biggest and best computer and monitor and all the best software and stuff, of course I would do that of course, because yeah. it would make my life easier and that stuff is, is great to work with. But what I've done for years now, what I will continue to do and Ted does, is we work with the stuff we have until we can't work with it anymore until right. it until it holds us back in some way and um i mean i will work with the camera i have until i feel like it's outdated or slowing me down or the resolution's not good enough compared with what everyone else has or whatever or until a customer says sorry i can't use you on this project because you don't use a professional enough camera or something then i'm out to buy another one sure. uh, as soon as it's holding me back but that's what we're talking about when we're talking about you know, working with with what you have. Well, here, here's an example. Like if you held two photos up and you said, okay, uh, one of these was taken on a uh, Nikon point and shoot and the other one was on a D3X. And I, I probably couldn't tell you the difference in most cases. Right. You know, I'm just saying. Right. Not unless the specs, not unless the quality, you know, what is the biggest thing out there with digital uh, stuff is, is, uh, is age of the camera. Sure. Like, um, if you're shooting with, um, uh, a camera that, that came out in the very beginning and is really low in megapixels or the quality is not that great or whatever, you might be able to tell if, you know, you're a professional, if you go in there and look at the, if the photo close compared to cameras nowadays that come out, even the cheaper ones that only cost around, you know, 500 to a thousand dollars, the quality of them is so much better. Right. Uh, the resolution is so much higher. The noise reduction is so much better. Um, that that's somewhere you can tell, um, but but other than that, you're right. You can't tell the difference if if, if a professional shot something with with a, a handheld, you know, or, or a point and shoot camera and a professional camera. It'd be very hard to tell. You'd have to go in there and do some work to yeah. really try to tell the difference. You're right. Well, and that's kind of an unfair statement too, because there are situations where you know that top of the line SLR is going to be the better tool than the point and shoot because you're in real low light or you need a zoom or whatever it is. You know? mm-hmm. But I, th- I just think in general. My point is, is that just you know work with what you've got. It's a great yeah. place to start. You know, yeah. Like um, like I've been shooting. I'm a you know I'm a professional photographer, and I get that title now because I work as with photography for a living to make my living. So I guess that's where you get the professional title. And that doesn't mean that everybody that does that is um, good by any means for sure. Right. Um, because I see a lot of non professional people out there that blow professional people's socks off. Sure. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, I've been working with a D90 now for for two years. Before that, I had a D80. Now I have a D90. That's only like a twelve hundred dollar camera, but it does everything that I need. It's a twelve mega, megapixel camera. It's got um, HDMI video. Um, it's it, it does everything that I need to do professionally. Uh, you know, so far, uh, when I've started working with some new clients lately that are really professional clients, they will ask me a lot of times what my camera is. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes I have to prove to them if they aren't familiar with the D90 that it's a professional quality camera and that I don't need a $3,000 camera to work with them because the images that I take are going to be sharp. That's a the- weird question. Well, it is a weird question, but a lot of times when you work with magazines and publications and oh, things. Oh, yeah. This is a new thing to me. No, they no, will no, ask no. You, yeah, no, ask that makes you, sense. What, no, they'll ask you, what camera do you have? And a lot of times when I say a D90, they'll go, really? And I'll go, oh, yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, if you're not familiar with the D90, it's a 12.3 megapixel camera. I can, I, you can print, you know, a two-page spread. It can print 14 by 11, 300 DPI. You kind of have to go into some technical specs. You get more patience than I do. But, uh, but no, yeah. I, I understand the question. The question, the reason they want to know that, just so listeners know, anytime you're dealing with with oh, a client that's going to have some kind of imaging department, uh, they're right. going to have specifications, and that's why they're asking what the camera yeah. models. I think what I would probably say is I shoot with a variety of things, but I will give you images that are you know 30 megabytes in size, at the, or whatever it is. Um, exactly, whatever they know, need size-wise. Whatever the megapixels dimensions end up being, and I'll just say I'll get 
you what you want. But but that's why they're asking that. Um, yeah. Because <clears throat> they probably had people shoot with outdated equipment, even known professionals that they weren't able to get a big enough file to use. And that's they're just covering themselves on that. The two things that are that are majorly important nowadays with when you're working for with like publications and things are the is the shot going to be really clear, mm-hmm. or is your camera or or is is your camera or the lens you're using so cheap or bad that, that maybe it's going to affect the quality? You got to make sure right. that that's you know thing. And the other thing is the size. Uh, is the size of the final digital file going to be big enough to work with um, for whatever size publication this is? Can we print a two-page spread? Can, you know, and, and depending on the size of the magazine or, or whatever it is, is that going to be is that going to be big enough? And um, I think whether you're working with a D90 or the top of the line Nikon or, or Canon camera, if you have the resolution there and you have and the sharpness is good enough on whatever camera you're working with, that you're good to go from a professional standpoint. Right. Well, and one other thing, and I'm not saying this was the case with the client that asked you, but but I have had experience with people before who have, oh, I'm thinking of one in particular, and I won't name names, but uh, they weren't hiring me. But what had happened was I knew somebody in the imaging department, and she said that uh, you know they had been burned once before. And what's interesting is I saw the shots they were burned on, and, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people who call themselves photographers who, for whatever reason, can finagle a gig, and they do a crappy job. Right. Uh, and it was clear to me that it was a subjective issue, um, and a lot of times in a business sense is people don't know how to put requirements on subjective type things like – it's not good enough or we didn't like it. Those aren't hard facts, you know? Mm -hmm. So they'll do things like, Oh, well, uh, they turned in JPEGs at, at this resolution. So as long as we go with somebody who has a camera, that will shoot higher than we won't have this problem, which is not true, but right. You know, but that's kind of, that's kind of ignorance on their part. And I've gotten that before too, where somebody turned in TIFFs, TIFF files. Mm -hmm. And of course a TIFF file or a PSD file is going to be a larger file than a JPEG file because a JPEG is a compressed file. So when I turned in my JPEG file, they said, well, you're going to need a different camera or something because your files are much smaller. Flip that. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I said, well, you got to open them up. They're going to be the exact same size and exact same quality as, as the TIFF and, and PSD. Well, you files. know, we're way off the original question, but it's like a lot, you, you, do, you do have to spend a lot of time educating clients. And yes, even ones that work for photography publications yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And just got to be confident and talk through it, and, you know, people are fine. Yeah, but, but to, to, to this guy's question, the camera you have now is great. You you have you're working with software that you can afford, and you and you're doing what you can do, and that's all great. And I think you're on the right track. Um, whenever you get to a point where your camera isn't cutting it, or your software isn't cutting it because it can't do something that you need to do, it's time to upgrade. And um, that's something that you can always be saving for. Um, every day or every month or, or whatever, um, yeah. and, and and then get it when you can afford it. But don't go out there and put it on a credit card, or no. you know, don't 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 do something you can't afford. Do you know work within your means, and uh, that that always works. Because yeah. I've heard of a lot of great photographers that have a ton of talent that have sunk their ship because they uh, they went in over their head. They bought. Well, they didn't have the cash flow coming in. That's right. Important. They took in know. a ton of loans, and then photography is just notorious for being slow. I was slow the whole month of January. Now I'm going to be busier than I can possibly imagine this month that's so cool. that that's the business and uh so yeah if you take out a ten thousand dollar loan and that loan's due every month uh and you have a really slow month it can sink you quick the so. credit company doesn't want a slow month <laughs> right they don't care <laughs> no. they don't care so there goes your business and you're back working at you know starbucks or whatever uh, not that there's anything wrong with that no all right you want to do another question here yep Okay, this one is from alex and uh we've talked with alex on the twitter i believe but uh Alex says, Dear Wade and Ted, just wanted to let you know that you have listeners around the world. I'm from the Netherlands and absolutely love your show. And don't worry about getting off topic bits for the show. Those I like best of all. <laughs> well, you got nothing to worry about. We, we can't control that for some whatever reason. <laughs> right. Uh, really glad to see that you broadcast the new show once a week at lap. Well, that's not true either. Yeah, well, he wrote this email a while back. Um, yeah, we're, we're working on it. Okay, uh, you guys asked for questions, so here we go. <laughs> Pardon me. That wasn't the question. That was just me choking. <laughs> that was phlegm. <flint. laughs> that was me uh, with allergies. <laughs> uh, you often talk about the minimal need for equipment. Oh, I think we probably addressed most of this. But anyway, okay. a standpoint that I completely agree with, although I am better on the technical than I am on the creative side, which is fine. Um, I would still like to ask if you could talk a little bit about studio work or on-site studio work. My second question, although these are more requests than questions, is if you could talk about – oh, this is a weird one. 
but we'll talk about it. if you could talk about your dealings with color. I, for one, am colorblind, not grayscale, which is a pain. How would you work around this? This ties into studio question uh, as well. And, of course, the next sub question, which is how do I make sure on a tight budget that my colors are as real as I'm going to get them? Okay. Um, anyway, so and so forth. That's from Alex. Uh, the colorblind issue um, – I'm not colorblind. I've known designers and I've known photographers who are. Mm-hmm. I think that if you're going to have trouble seeing color, um, it would. I could kind of equate this to having a computer that the color profiles aren't set up on um, in a way, although you're really not seeing a lot. Um, I don't know the degree to which Alex is colorblind or what all that entails, and I am not by any stretch of the imagination a doctor, doctor. or anything like that. But yes, <laughs> um, but what I would do if it were me um, – you know, obviously you'll have photography and keep doing it. I would budget to have a second pair of eyes. If you're doing a job, you need somebody to be able to double check things for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, that's a very, if you got work coming in, that's something you can do. If you don't have work coming in, you're putting a portfolio together, just get, get a buddy to look at it. You know, somebody mm-hmm. you trust who's got a really good eye for that. I think that's really kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, and, and it, you were saying that you've known people before that were colorblind. I've mm-hmm. worked with a lot of people that are colorblind and have great design and photography careers. Sure. And you're like, what? How? Uh, and it's because they, uh, they're they color by number. Yeah. Everything with them on screen is numbers. Um, they know that, that uh, certain things, RGB, you know, uh, certain series of numbers, that the reds are perfect, that the blues are perfect, that the greens are perfect, that whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, what they, this is what they work by. And uh, the other thing that you can do, whether you're colorblind or not, and um, I don't work on all the most c- uh, calibrated stuff in the world. I never buy that calibration uh, software or anything, and I know mm-hmm. that that's probably really good to do. But I even edit off of a laptop, so that tells you right there that you know my stuff isn't the most accurate ever, but everything seems to always work out because – of settings, mm-hmm. um, the, the settings within my camera are set to a certain thing. The settings in Photoshop and in Lightroom are all set up evenly across the board, and so I know that what I shoot is is accurate within the camera, which goes into Lightroom, which is you know aligned there with Photoshop, and then the final outcome is going to be kind of this streamlined thing with all the settings being the same way. If if each of those settings within your camera uh, the RGB settings and then in Photoshop and in Lightroom. If those are all different, you're going to really get a mixed match of something that comes out at the end because even the slightest, even shooting sRGB versus, you know, Adobe RGB is going to um, be, you know, create. You know, this is probably a good time to bring this up. Um, I, uh, another couple of months ago, I did a, um, uh, one of the video podcasts on color profiles. Mm-hmm. And this is not something I'm an expert in, I will be the first to admit. And I kind but of. you've done a lot of you've done a lot of web work, which requires yeah. A lot of, and I I did my best guesstimation of what kind of works for me and reported mm-hmm. on that. Anyway, I had a guy that sent me an email. Uh, he lives in Austin, and he very politely pointed out that I was basically full of it and had no clue what I was talking about, and actually offered to help me. And and you know when you do podcasts, you get emails that are usually confrontational. This guy wasn't. And since he had offered, I said, yeah, sure, let's, let's talk on the phone. Anyway, I, I talked to him on the phone yesterday, actually, and we're going to probably in March or April uh, do a whole series in the video podcast. I'm going to get him on there to talk about it. And what this guy, his name's Mike Adams, and what he does is he is a color technician. And so typically what he will do is go work for like a printer or a design house or mm-hmm. something like that where they need to have their color – flow worked out their monitors calibrated the whole thing we had a fascinating conversation i realized that you know there is a science to this uh and to get somebody to understand that anyway his day rates you know thousand dollars up to go out and do these things and he said one thing he's interested in is if there was a way uh and i'm just kind of thinking out loud and i don't know if he wants me reporting this or not but i just did um you know to to target photographers on like a two to three hundred dollar scale um, to basically come out and one time help them out with all their color, get the profile set up, sure. get the screen calibrated. And I'm thinking, you know, everybody wants to. That. Well, everybody wants to drop fifteen hundred bucks on a camera. Why would you do that? And not have all that worked out. And if you can right. hire somebody at a reasonable rate like that to do it, I would do it. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it was really interesting what we were talking about, and he was talking about color spaces and all. Anyway, so we'll we'll, we'll get him in and and do some of that in the future. But my point here is again, uh, especially if you're colorblind, get help. It's okay. Um, there are people who do this for a living. <laughs> I mean, you make it sound that just like, like a service announcement. Yes, like get help. Get help. It's yeah. okay. Depression's all right. No, well, but it is. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with with. Understanding where your shortcomings are and working within those limitations, and if it means you need to hire somebody to help out with that on a one-time basis, or you know, if you have a successful photography studio, I you know, I would have a colorist, you know, who mm-hmm. comes in and that's their job is to take your work, your the look composition, the, the final, yeah, look at the resu- look at the picture in the beginning for you, and maybe look at the picture at the end, yeah, and and tell you what you need to do. And yeah. what's interesting is one of the things that Mike did say, and we are going to cover this, uh, and we're going to break it down into a bunch of podcasts because it's such a massive topic. But uh, we were talking about you know the two sources you're going to have are either like film cameras or digital cameras and film you're dealing with a scan and that's a different ballgame and I'm not going to talk about that now but but with digital cameras he said basically if you shoot in raw you're going to capture all the color spectrum that that camera that's that's going to be the highest you could possibly do right I always shoot in raw yeah and then you can change it based on where your workflow goes from there but one thing if you shoot as a jpeg uh, whether you're using Adobe RGB 1998 or sRGB, mm-hmm. you've already cut your spectrum down right there, and you're not going to get mm-hmm. those colors back. Now, we also talked about on the phone, you know, there's a difference between he, – he equated it to like if you're a photographer, it's like if you shoot in JPEG, it's like you've thrown away your negative and kept the scan. It, it's not the original file. But if you're shooting a family event or, you know, weddings or something like that, there are situations where that's okay. It's, that's a, um, a give and take you're willing to do, and, and you mm-hmm. go ahead and shoot JPEG for those. But uh, but as far as uh, shooting raw, anything serious that you're wanting to do, you should do that. But if you're not able to see it, you need to get somebody to give you a hand with that. So Yeah, if you can shoot raw, shoot raw because uh, – all the information in the world is there, and it's amazing, even if you take a bad exposure mm-hmm. of what you can do to a photo that's too dark or too light and to bring back information that looks like it's not even there. You can, you can, uh, you can bring out these highlights, and, or it's just, it's just amazing what I've gotten a bad picture of. And then <clears throat> after editing it in Lightroom, a raw photo, it looks like an amazing photo and mm-hmm. you're like i took this from this this is you know unbelievable but yeah. it's because all of that information is in there when you shoot jpeg a jpeg file is a compressed file already which means it's gotten rid of a lot of information to give you a small file and that's why it's small in size uh so but and, you're not you know, getting that info back you know that's and then the other thing that some people need to know that they if they don't know this already is that every time you resave a jpeg file you're losing information every time every right. single time it's dumped information to make that file even smaller. Yeah, so, so fourth thing, or fifth generation is really going to be ugly. Really, yeah, you're really going to start to get some noise and, and pixelization and, and some bad things if you're resaving, opening up and resaving, editing and, and resaving a, a JPEG file over and over. If yeah. you're going to open up and, and resave files, leave it as a PSD file or even a TIFF file or a RAW file and until you're done editing it all together and then save it as a JPEG. Right. The the very final thing, and if you're just saving it out one time as a JPEG, you're not losing much there. If you're if you're done editing, um, and then you can post it, you know, to your website, uh, Flickr, wherever, give it to the client. I have no qualms with giving the client a, a JPEG file to go to print with sure. if um, if all the editing's done. Cool. Yeah. Um, the other thing he asked was about studio photography. That's a huge yeah. ass topic. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that is huge, and we can talk about it in specific areas. But I guess just generically, I, I just think generically um, with studio space. Basically, a studio, all it is is in a, a controlled environment uh, to be able to control the lighting and props and set or whatever you're doing with your mm-hmm. shots. Um, my my home is set up for small scale stuff. So if I'm doing still life or, or product shots or something like that, I can do it here. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are, there's, there's several in Dallas. There are studios you can rent in a lot of photographers will do this. Um, if you need a large scale production. So if you're shooting a car, uh, and it's a studio shot or something like that, or you know, you have a lot of product and you just the space for storage, then you can go rent space to do that. In fact, I know several photographers who, in the last couple of years with the downturn of the economy and in an attempt to cut expenses have gotten rid of their own studios sure because they can rent when they need it um, it's not needed it's like an, it's like a really expensive lens you don't nice, need it all the, <clears throat> right you don't need it all the time yeah 
And it doesn't make any sense to be paying power and water bills and utilities and rent and all this other stuff. If I mean, some people like, you know, for instance, Greg Booth and Associates, who that's all they do is catalog and product and stuff. And they need that space because they're using it every mm-hmm. day and five right. photographers over there. Um, but somebody who's just freelancing, you probably don't. Um, and that's just up to you and, and your workload. But uh, Yeah, I mean, you, you'll totally know if you need a studio all the time or not. Um, yeah. if, if you're a product photographer, a food photographer, um, uh, well, even a food photographer shoots on, on restaurant sites and stuff a lot or whatever. But like a product photographer or a portrait photographer. Mm-hmm. I have a friend, Sam Smead in Longview, and he's a portrait photographer, and he has his own studio, and he uses it daily. Um, yeah, because he's, he's need for it. Yeah, and, and it, he has a need for it. He's shooting senior and uh, family portraits in the studio every day. He needs the controlled lighting. He has a lot of props, and this is what he does for a living. Um, uh, I, on the other hand, am a commercial photographer, and I'm shooting mu- 95% of the time on location. So um, I definitely don't have a studio in my house when, I need, need a, yeah. when I need a studio. I rent it um, by the hour. Or half day or day, uh, and and I just build that right into the to to the bill for the client or whatever. Um, you know so what's it, cool too about that is that it gives you an enormous ability to scale, even as a one man show. Totally. Um, if you had like, for instance, I cannot. I'm sorry, I'm blanking. I should have looked it up. But when I did that Canon workshop, um, oh gosh, last year, uh-huh. um, they did it at one of these studios in Southern Design District, and it's specifically set up for photography and video. And mm-hmm. so, it, I mean, one of the studios has a kitchen in it. So if you had like a food magazine come to you and say, do you, "Can you do this large scale food thing that's going to you know require hiring a chef and a st- food mm-hmm. stylist and all that?" You could handle it. I mean, you could totally. resource the whole thing. And as a one-man show, you could go put that together. Yeah. Um, it's going to be hard, but you can do it. Uh, I think 20 years ago, before there was studio space that was dedicated to photographers, unless you had a studio, you'd have to turn down a job like that. So I think it gives you this enormous ability to scale things, which is so cool. But, yeah, and not having your own studio. If you are a portrait photographer and you have your own studio, that that's probably great. That's and that's all you need uh, right. is that one controlled environment or whatever. But if if you're dealing like a commercial photographer, an advertising photographer, or something like this, and you and a lot of different situations come up where they need different kinds of rooms and different kind of things, well, then it's great because the entire city, every single studio in the city, is at your disposal. Yeah, really. <laughs> so you don't have one studio; you have. Uh, 150 studios (laughs) you can rent and you're right any you can afford any of it because um you'll build the studio fee into your cost uh if a stylist comes or there's lighting that needs to be rented or special lenses all that's built into the cost up front and then what i'll probably do in my case is bill bill that up front because that's a lot of cost up front to me so i want to go ahead and get that build up front that'll be your upfront cost to the client you know here's the total bill but you don't have to pay that until the end this part is what i need up front you'll go ahead and give that to the studio and to the stylist and go ahead and pay uh, for all your rental stuff and you can do anything yeah. and it's it's really amazing as, as a one-man shop on uh, no budget well, so think of it this way let's say you had a studio and it cost you a thousand dollars a month plus utilities yeah um and let's say the day rate is 500 bucks a day for a large studio and you have like i don't know an auto manufacturer and you're going to shoot some cars so you have to go rent it well, $500 may sound like a – or let's say it's a $1,000 day rate. It may sound like a lot, but you're not paying for it for an entire year's every month. You're just doing one shoot with it. So it, it's right. an enormous ability to scale, I think. So Yeah, yeah. I don't definitely. know if that answered Alex's question. but No, um, I think it does. I mean I, 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 well, hopefully that's what he means working in a studio. But we can go more into like actual studio – uh, topic like conversation as far as lighting and stuff like that, but when you're working in a studio, it's just all very controlled. So you're talking about right. working with strobes and and flashes and 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 lighting of all different kinds uh, in a very controlled way, rather than on on set somewhere else uh, right. on location where um, you're kind of having to uh, roll with the whatever's happening, the weather, the sun, the you know whatever's going on like i will be today in deep ellum uh it's going to be a nice day here or whatever i'm going to shoot a lot in the shade and not in the direct sun and stuff like that or whatever but if i was shooting in a studio there's not any kind of worries at all because um it's going to be whatever you make it so um if you want that controlled part of it that's what you do cool yeah all right let's do one more let's do it this is a big topic too but i think it's a good one um we got this is from brian and he doesn't state where he's from he was from dallas because he says howdy fellas ah 
because we say howdy all the time. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> first, thanks for the shows, both <laughs> AOP and TPS. I'm born and raised Texan who's left for forsaken lands, and I have to say that part of the appeal of your show is you two yucking it up with those god-awful Dallas accents. Oh. It makes me homesick. <laughs> <laughs> so question, stock photography is something that baffles me, so I was wondering if you guys could devote a few minutes to what's involved, how to break in, the pitfalls and whatnot. I've heard guys talk about shooting stock and profitability, but, and mind the noob question, what do you shoot slash submit? Question, question. I know that Getty has their own Flickr group open for submissions, and I have no clue as to what they're looking for. Anyway, uh, get to it if you guys have time. We have time, Brian. Do it. What do you say? As saying? someone who's interested that, in maybe Ted. pursuing as a photog side business, I really enjoy your business, Jibber Jabber. So, anyway, um, stock photography. Uh, I think before you ask, before you sit there and say, what do I submit or shoot to Getty? Um, and Wade has done a lot of stock. I, I have mixed feelings, and we could talk about that too. But uh, I think the the bigger question is if you're going to go into it, it's like anything else. It's like, oh, I'm going to be a pro photographer. I'm going to go shoot. What is it you want to shoot? So I think you need to research and find out what people are buying. I think mm-hmm. that's the first way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this involves going and looking at magazines. Um, just I, the newsstand will tell you a lot right there. Uh, you know, who's buying stock and what is it they're looking for? Um, in my limited experience, it's been, you know, you look at somebody like Getty, they're a big middleman. And you don't have to have that. Uh, it's a lot more work, but you could probably do better if you had a mailing list of graphic designers and a network and people you knew who, mm-hmm. who look for stuff. And they could even tell you what they need. Um, but it's like business like anything else. You're not going to be able to just uh, think of it as this jackpot of ease. So I'm bitter about this, but it, it's not just this easy thing. And you've had experience with Getty and some of the others because you've actually done some of that on a, um, on a scale. Yeah, what I would say is, is is exactly what you're saying. First of all, is do do your homework, do your research. I would go to not only Getty but to uh, Veer and Corbus and um, every other uh, stock photo agency that's out there that you would be interested in shooting for. Uh, if you just go to their homepage, you're immediately going to see like work that they feature, which right. is mean the work that they like a lot, um, work that's that that's selling right now. Um, that's, it's going to be right there on their homepage. That's what they're going to feature up front. Um, so if you go and do your homework at these different stock, stock sites, you're going to immediately see what sells and what are kind of what's out there, what needs to be shot. Right. A lot of this is like lifestyle. Um, they, they love stuff of like uh, – families and kids and 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 uh people dating and married and out on the town and this and that you know riding bikes uh, that that's huge um then then all kinds of product photography of anything in the world because uh Ted and I have an advantage because we work in the graphic design industry so I bought stock photography forever for yeah. every kind of design project I had so um I I kind of already knew as a photographer going in like thinking like a designer like well what would a designer need well they kind of need like everything in the world if I need right. a if I'm doing an ad and I need a picture of a te- an old telephone, um, I'm going to go to a stock photography site and put in vintage telephone, and about 400 of them are going to come up, and then I'm going to pick the one I like that I can afford and buy that or whatever. But you know, so there's there's every kind of product in the world like that um, that, that you can shoot, and I would just say shooting a huge variety and submitting lots of different things, and you'll kind of start to see uh, what they like and what they don't. And Getty, <clears throat> on you know, I've I've worked specifically with them through Flickr. Um, and they have a thing on Twitter that you can become a part of. You can subscribe to their Twitter feed, um, and it's called Getty Images Want, like what they want. So get, Getty Images <laughs> Wait, Want. I remember you talked about this. And it's it can really be funny stuff. sometimes. It is obscure. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it is always going to be like I need, um, you know – slider hamburgers from Bangladesh or something like that or whatever or um <laughs> 10 you know 10 foot tall carrots from Afghanistan or whatever well, and so maybe it out there cuz you never know you know yeah but they're telling you on a daily basis what they want there and then besides that you can submit stuff to the Flickr group and there is a uh, their their main website for if you're not on Flickr and and you don't subscribe to Twitter and you just want to go straight to them with some some submissions that you think um get their opinion on and things they have a website that's gettyimages.com uh slash creative slash front door slash contributors so um, i'll put a link in the show notes yeah so. you put a link in the show notes that takes you right to their website where you can just submit things directly every single website besides getty is going to have this same kind of thing going on nowadays because um they're loving pulling in images from all the millions of people that are submitting them from all over the world 
it is hard to make a living at this full time. I do it as a side fun thing. Um, I don't, you know, I don't mind uh, letting Getty have some of my images. I think last year I made around a thousand dollars just to throw a number out there on stock photography. I think I have like. Fifty images up on clearly the, on, not enough to live on, but not than enough those to live on. Sitting but on a hard drive. It's, yeah. to me, it's like free money. Yeah. It's like, oh, I got another check from Getty for that image that would have just been sitting on my computer. Yeah, so and that's important to me. To me, that's cool. That's yeah. it's a little extra. Sometimes. Well, and and to talk about this from a business standpoint, so let's let's quit being photographers here for a second. I, you know, I've got mixed feelings, and and I think Wade and I. I think, and to blow our own horn here, we are good to talk about this topic because we've been on the other side as buyers of, of stock as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's kind of two paths that I see photographers do. There's there's what Wade is doing, which is basically <clears throat> you're looking for ways for some images to make some money that aren't being used, and there's nothing wrong. In fact, I think it's a very smart thing to do um, and very important to do. Um, and in that case, things like Getty are great. Um, I'm going to blow our Getty sponsorship potential here. <laughs> but, um, the problem I have with this is there are people that – for whatever reason, and I think this is perfectly legitimate, they don't want to work with clients and go over concepts and stuff. They would rather shoot stock and make a living because I hear a lot of people um, you know, on Flickr boards and things like that talking about how can I become a stock ph- photographer. Mm-hmm. I think some of that is on the route. It means you don't have to make cold calls and things like that. But um, if that is where the attitude is, you're not going to do anything. I mean it's just not going to work because here's the problem is that Getty is there for as a middleman, Corvus, Veer, and they're fine. But they're going to take a chunk of the money that they're going to get. They are going to find work. But here's the bigger problem is how many thousands of photographers submit to all those agencies. And so that's what I mean is like you you need to have work that like is sellable. It's a little bit different than the others. It's got a personality to it. If I were going to pursue this, I would do it completely differently. I would say screw it. This is a business. Get rid of the middleman because you're small. You don't have a big staff. You, you're versatile. Uh, and I would, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I would compile a list of people who buy stock photos, whether that's graphic design firms, ad agencies, um, in-house graphics for certain people, like somebody like Fossil who probably buys stock from time to time. What would they want to do? In fact, I think Fossil's an interesting. And I'm not just saying that they do this, but I think their work is so stylized. If you had an in with a company like that, you could go shoot that style and probably get a lot of work out of them and be able to turn it quick enough to where they could make a request for something occasionally Um, because it is stock. You could resell it to somebody else, um, but that would be a good way to build your portfolio. But I would do it as a business. I would would cut the middleman out of it. Maybe I'm crazy and nuts and I don't actually do it. I'm talking out of my – Rear end, but I think you have no, a I mean, chance it's, it's of doing good, it that way. It's, it's good to have an opinion that way, you know. I mean, and, and, and I, I really and you, think there's a lot of money to be made there if you were savvy enough about your business side of it, right? You know, yeah, yeah. You, you can definitely make your own uh, stock photography business if you let enough people know about it and have a large enough network. I mean, that's the thing right there is getting a large enough network. And 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 some stock photography agents take take a take more you know of a percentage from you than others. There are right. some that are like micro stock that that don't take very much, but they don't pay you very much or whatever. Yeah. And we've seen even success stories on that where we we when we've seen this uh, this video of this guy that um, has made a huge business out of stock micro stock photography uh shooting like medical type photos and well every kind of photo he has a studio that has like a living room in it it has like a hospital he's found in a it. niche though right he's found a niche and yeah, that's gonna that's be important rare. yeah that's gonna be like you know, he's very- the go-to dude for medical stuff exactly and there's a lot of it- stock purchase for that Right, exactly, and you're going to see the same kind of like models that he uses and the lighting style and all this kind of stuff on on some of these micro stock sites, um, you know, like Shutterstock or whatever, um, over and over again. In kind of they're kind of your generic uh, stuff, but they're it's stuff that that people eat up on on the internet when they're building a website and stuff, and it's cheap. So yeah. you know, people go to that a lot. But um, well, yeah, there's the a lot of debate side- in this world and and uh, about this topic and everything, and and it's tough, but to make it full time as a stock photographer. But I think it's definitely something that you can add to your business um, to to make more income and sure, can be sure. successful on and that's um, smart thing to do. Different well, levels. One that. other thing I would add to that, what we were just saying though, is, is if you're trying to have a go at this full time, and I'll speak from the graphic designer I used to be. 
usually mm-hmm. the reason you're looking for stock is because one, you don't have a budget for, for custom photography and, or two, you need it really quick. I mean, there, there's several factors there and mainly cheap is the deal. And right off the bat, that makes it a hard business model to work with if you're trying to do it exclusively for a living because of the cheap factor. However, mm-hmm. you can renegotiate things or you can renegotiate license rights. Uh, they don't have exclusivity. So you could sell one image to a multitude of clients, but finding that niche, like Wade said, with the medical photography, if that's your thing uh, that could be probably a lucrative business if you could if you could play it right from the business end but yeah if you're if you're a photographer who works with clients and stuff i think pursuing that is is a pretty good idea because you know it's it's easy money (laughs) well the the thing with being a stock photographer one of the people the types of people that i think could do the best at it is someone who already has a full-time job of some kind whether it's a full you're a full-time professional photographer shooting commercial work or some other kind of work or you're a a full-time anything businessman or whatever and i know a lot of these kind of people that come home after work every day and, and like to go into their photography uh business or shoot on the weekends and stuff like this if you did that full time and, and just aimed at being a stock photographer you really knew what the market wanted out there as far because it even changes all the time but there are some things that are a mainstay if you knew what these things were and you knew how to uh kind of uh pump them out pump these images out by the hundreds and submit them and get getty and 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 corbis and veer and all these other places to accept them and and sell them um you i think you know, if this was your full-time job that you focused on, you could you could make a, a lucrative um, sure. income from that. And if you got something started where you already had an income that you could live off of, and then if it ever turned into where you were making enough money that you could quit your job, then you then you do that. But you wouldn't want to say, "I'm going to stop. I'm going to quit my job today and just become a full-time stock photographer." I think you'd be headed for a world of pain. Ooh, yeah, with no money. Yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, honey. We made a thousand dollars this year. Oh yeah! Uh, wow. <laughs> but if you're if you're only sh- if I was only shooting for stock all the time, I would be shooting in a very different style in a very different way and going about things totally different. Oh yeah, than I, sure. Than, yeah, a lot it's more business time like and, everything else. Yeah. Right. Go into it. So, um, it, it'd be tough to say how that would go. Well, cool. Well, we're drawing near the end. Do you want to do yes. some pick of the week action? Let's do it. And I want to say real quick, you can even yeah. cut this from from the podcast if you want to. I wasn't plugged into my Ethernet this whole show. Oh, so that was it. That that's why I'm having sound. Ethernet, so I, if this show comes out all crappy, it's totally my. No, fault. no, it's been fine. Uh, there's been a moment or two, but but yeah, I I, I plugged in about ten minutes ago. So yeah. the end of the show is going to be awesome. Yeah, kids, if you ever produce a podcast, uh, don't try Skype with the wireless. It's uh, no. that's the world and of pain. I, and I just forgot today. I always I have to you know plug Sorry. it in. Why? I have to hook up the wires, and I just forgot because I'm still in my pajamas. So <laughs> that's why <laughs> Ethernet pajamas. I didn't remember till I drank my whole cup of coffee. Then my brain turned on, and I was like, "Oh, I'm not plugged in." There's a show title for you: Ethernet pajamas. <laughs> Ethernet. That's a band name. I'm gonna get the band <laughs> Ethernet today. pajamas. It's like so change their name to Ethernet pajamas. Well, do you have a pick of the week? You want me to go first? Do. You want to um, go? Yeah. Did, okay. Did we talk about the eight millimeter app? No, I think that's a good okay, one. Well, that's a new one. It's kind of a just a tiny bit off photography, but if you love hipstamatic, you're going to love the eight millimeter app, which oh, is oh yeah, which is video um, done in the same style. I think these people might have seen what was going on with hipstamatic, or they I don't know, and and said, oh, this whole the vintage film thing is awesome. Let's do vintage video. And uh, yeah, so you got you got the sound effects of of the old video that you can put in there, and then tons of different uh, effects of video throughout the ages um, that you can add in there as far as vignetting and flickering and and uh, noise cool, and distortion. Man. It's really cool, and I just I used it for the first time uh, when it snowed here in Dallas really bad. We got like six inches of snow the other day, which is rare for this part of the world. And um, I took it outside and took a few you know video clips of people sled and stuff and it just made it it just looked like something from the 1950s or something uh these little kids and you know on their sleds and then you know their uh their clothes and everything it just it, the the effects of the video is very cool so well the, another thing i like about it is unlike a lot of video apps it, it, it produces pretty low resolution which is okay because it's fast it doesn't sit there and render for four hours and right it, it's quick and uh oh i love it in fact i did a uh Oh, I just wanted to put a montage of stuff that I – the first week I got, I was like going crazy videoing people at work and stuff, and and uh, it, it was awesome. And I'll, I'll put the uh, – I've got it on the YouTube. I'll put. Yeah, the, you put a uh, – Yeah, you're a, in it. 
video together. Yeah, I'm in it in one little part. <laughs> the, from the camera show. From um, the camera I'll show. put it. It's on the YouTube. I'll, uh, I'll I'll embed it in the show notes. So if you go to thepublicbroadcast.com, you'll find it in there. So Yeah, so 8mm app. It's what, like $2? Yeah, uh, yeah $1.99. $1.99 if you have an iPhone from the i, I Apple Store, from the App Store, um, so you can get it there. And uh, this is just a one other quick thing I want to throw out that I may have mentioned before, but David Hobby and Joe McNally are doing a tour all over the United States called The Flash Bus, and it's working with Small Flash. Uh, he David Hobby is strobist.com, uh, yes. and Joe McNally is someone I talk about all the time. That has two dudes who know their stuff. So. Who know their stuff about uh, lighting professionally using small flashes, which is the way I go most of the time, and I've learned a ton of stuff from both of them. And um, I'm going to be going to the to the conference that they have here in Dallas. It's like ninety eight dollars, and you get to spend like five hours seeing them do their thing. So I'm going to go too. Ted's going to go too. I'm going too. In I, fact, I, I sent the link out to a bunch of my photographer friends. We have a couple people uh, from the Flickr group on the other podcast. Cool. That's going to be a really fun, fun day. That's going to be so fun. But anyway, it's all over the United States. So, uh, and then it may even go uh, worldwide. So, yeah, the um, Dallas one is mid March. I want to say. Mm-hmm. You can go to theflashbus.com and check out everything there. A lot of cities are already sold out already because these guys are really popular. Yeah. And so check that out as quick as you can if you're interested. Sweet. Awesome. What do you got, Teddy? I got um, – well, this is uh, – um, okay. <laughs> I got uh, – we've talked about – and we don't do weekly episodes, so I don't remember when it was. But there is an app, uh, a little light meter app for the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And it got a lot of discussion time on the Flickr group. And I know that there's a large generation, I'm greatly included to a degree in that, of people who love it when we can get an app for our iPhone to replace something. Um, I tried it. It was okay. It was not spot on. And one thing I want to recommend, this is going to be an expensive pick of the week. Um but a real light meter is something that is going to – I think that's one of those things kind of like color management that people tend to overlook. It's like I think people want to get into photography. They want to spend their money on an expensive camera, uh, get some nice lenses, and be ready to rock. And mm-hmm. the truth of it is there's a few other supplies that are kind of mandatory that, that people don't want to spend money on, and I think light meters are one of them. Um, the one I have, and I will put a link in the show notes, it is – there's a slightly newer model, but it's a Seconic, and it's an L558R, Dual Master. And here's what you're looking for in a light meter is they'll do a lot of things, and this one does almost all of them, uh, and it was a little more expensive. I think this is in the $600, $700 range, um, and you can get them – that do much more things or much cheaper. Yeah. And so, you know, the first thing it does is like reflective light metering. So it's a little dome. And if I hold, I'm shooting a portrait of somebody, I can hold the meter up next, take a reading. And that's what I need to set my camera to. So that's one thing it does. Another thing that does, and this is what starts adding to it is it'll do spot metering. And so on the other podcast, we're talking about zone system stuff. And this is an absolutely essential tool for that, where I can take a reading of just a light reading of just one area. So the, how it, a camera meter works is let's say I'm taking a photo of Wade standing under a tree and oh, uh, nice. yeah. And so they're going to be bright areas. Let's say there's a car parked behind him and the windshield's glaring. And so that's a really hot light area. And then there's like the shade and the bark of the tree or the hair in Wade's nose or something like that. And those have a darker, uh, I don't have nose weed. hair. No, I know. I'm being, okay. I'm being I didn't have a lot of nose hair, but I trim it. I shaved mine, yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, what a light meter does is it kind of takes all these little light readings, and then you know, depending on how complex it is, it will average these together using some kind of algorithm, and to what it determines is the best average exposure for that scene, and that's what it photographs at. The whole idea is that the shadows go to, don't go too dark, and the highlights don't get blown out, um, and it will make its best judgment call. And there are times where maybe you're needing to get into something that's more high dynamic range, or with zone system and film, you're going to need to vary your time. And so this is where a spot meter, you're going to need to be able to read exactly what that dark area is and what the hot area is. Uh, mine will do flash metering, which is uh, you start paying money for this, but it's so, so, so important. Um, I can trigger a flash with this if I have all my lights set up for a studio thing and get a reading. And you can do average readering, so readering, reading. So I could take several things and average them together. Anyway, getting a real light meter and learning how to use it will bail you out 
a lot. Yeah, they're they're awesome to have. Cameras these days are amazing yes. with what they can do um, as far as metering. But you, you can uh, it never hurts, and you're always going to get a more accurate reading with with a light meter. Um, some are very affordable. Uh, one that I bought, uh, I think it was I, there. I just looked it up. It, mine's a Sekonic also. I think that's I'll a put great it in there, brand. Yeah. Yeah, uh, mine cost about $230, which is about what I wanted to spend. I didn't really want to spend much more than that. Of course, they can get much more advanced, and they can be much more expensive. But once again, talking about living within your means and buying stuff that's within your means, that was that was good for me for a light meter. And it does all the stuff that, that Ted talks about with uh, both kinds of, of light metering and, and flash and, uh, and and being able to work in all those environments. And it is does come in super helpful, especially when working uh, for me. I've used it the most in a studio environment when you have strobes and stuff set up. So um, the, the one that I have is a Sekonic Flashmate. It's a L3308S series um, that runs around $230. But at the whole Sekonic line is uh, are, are pretty yeah, good stuff. Yeah, they're awesome. Here's the you other cool on. thing about light meter. It's not like a camera where the companies are pretty much designing them to be obsolete every two years. Um, mm-hmm. This will last you. You get a light meter oh, in the yeah. last 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, it, as long as you take care of it and you know, You're going to buy one. Yeah. It. Yeah, you'll buy one. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of money, but but it really is important. I think it, the most use that <clears> – <throat> well, for black and white uh, zone system stuff, I use the spot meter constantly. But like Wade was saying, for flash stuff, uh, not having to completely rely on the – through the lens metering um, – it's really nice to be able to just uh, have an external meter that does that. You know, if you're serious about this, I think that's something that's uh, important. I'll put I'll put links to whatever equivalent model they have out now in the show notes. Yeah. They change them slightly every now and then. Um, that one that I just mentioned, you can find on Amazon and some other places. It's still for sale out there, but. Yeah, there's always newer, updated stuff, and there might be even stuff that's cheaper. And, and you more can get them used eBay if it's in good condition. Oh yeah, yeah, you know? I definitely would find something on eBay or something, and, and make sure it hadn't been dropped, or you know, you're, you're fine. Yeah, yeah, buy it from a place that's you know got a really good rating and says it's it's good to go and, and all that, and you're you, you'll be fine. Yeah. Most of those places, if something is wrong, you can return them or whatever. So sure, you'll be good. But yeah, you got to have a light meter if you're a photographer for sure. Yeah, especially if you shoot a lot of film still. If, oh, yeah. if this if this is a hobby getting off the professional side again if this is a hobby or or you're even just a professional who's, who still likes to shoot film if that's the case you definitely already have a light meter but um if you're just now coming into it but you love the whole film deal um a light meter is something you absolutely have to have yeah if you're uh, shooting large format they don't have built-in metering ever so you know even just yeah roaming the streets outside if you were shooting film and stuff all the time maybe you have an old camera and it doesn't even yeah, have Hasselblad or a tlr or something right you can take a quick meter reading of just what the lighting is in your in your vicinity and then uh set your settings to that and uh and shoot away yeah and i will say that the iphone app was impressive that it did anything um but yeah yeah, i'm sorry but it was it was not accurate enough i didn't think so Um, right i had people that email me this is i've I've run tests and and i believe them but it's like testing man there's a lot of different lighting situations you'd need um I don't know. It just for me, it was okay. Uh, if it's all I had, you could probably use it. But um, uh, any product that can do like five hundred things mm, yeah. <laughs> is yeah. not going to be as good as a product that does one thing. Sure. Uh, so that's the iPhone. The iPhone is absolutely amazing. That you're like, and it can do that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a computer. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's just so amazing they can do everything in the world to a certain degree. Um, but if you're going to use have a light meter, you need just a light meter because that's what it was built for. And yeah, there's a reason they're engineered super to be accurate, that right? Yeah, that'd be good. Like if you were out in the jungle and maybe you didn't have a light meter or you forgot yours, and oh, but my <laughs> iPhone's on me and it has a light. Okay, oh, that's well, it's giving me some kind of reading here. Cool. Let's make let's sure next time go to the jungle to pack my iPhone. I know. I'm always taking us to these remote lands that no one ever really gets to go to. <laughs> But uh, but that would be the scenario for the the the, the one on the iPhone. Excellent, cool, yeah. cool man. Good show. Yep. I hope I hope I didn't ruin all the sound in it. You ruined Not it all to my Ethernet. But they've heard crappy shows before, and we and they still followed us. So I still haven't ended the show. Technically, I don't I don't do this well. Do you want to try it? Okay. What do we usually say? I usually say I've messed it up, but. And this that's is, been the photography show. Yeah, thanks for listening. Wade and Ted, have a great day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to come up with something that, you know. I'll cut it there. That was perfect. <laughs> have a great day. Total.